Welcome to Butterflies and Incantations, a podcast about all things weird and magical. I'm your host, Vanessa. Today we have Eric Arneson. Eric Arneson runs Arnomancy.com and the Associated Arnomancy Podcast, which is absolutely amazing. And he's a super cool wizard. Welcome, Eric. Uh, well, thanks. Thanks, Vanessa. I don't know if I'm super cool, but I, I, I strive for it. <laughs> well, you are in my mind. And certainly Aww. when I need any information about uh, anything Greek or Hermetic, I usually go to you first, so that should say something. <laughs> well, I think all that really says is that I am really good at telling you, I don't know that. You should go talk to this person. <laughs> <laughs> And your, your podcast is also first in my listening queue, so you're doing well, something right. I, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I try, uh, you know, this is my second podcast. Um, right. And uh, I guess one of the things that I really am trying to do is, like, I try to get on guests that I can have really interesting conversations with that aren't too serious, right? Because the occult is is kind of goofy. Yes, it and is. I think it's really common for occultists to get so wrapped up with what they're doing that they kind of lose track of how strange and bizarre it appears from the outside. So having having the ability to kind of like make fun of yourself a little bit or acknowledge your own failures or how like weird it looks or how stupid you can be i think all of that is just really important you know i if you can't laugh at yourself when you're doing this stuff then i it, it's probably the wrong way to go either that or you should be a satanist <laughs> yeah um, i mean you know shots fired <laughs> <laughs> said while i'm sitting here wearing a uh, goofy looking celtic robe <laughs> <laughs> so um, i mean i'm i'm wearing a blue shirt because it's thursday so you know whatevs <laughs> fair enough um i generally don't get that into the the planetary days myself as far as like color coordinating my outfits but uh i definitely do make use of that i i think it's kind of fun to do um so I've, you know, I, at some point in my adult life, I kind of gave up on dressing um, very stylishly or whatever. So I wear a lot of polo shirts now, and it's easy to find polo shirts in all of the planetary colors. So, I mean, maybe that's a good message for middle-aged um, practitioners out there. If you're way into planetary magic and you want to sort of embody the spirit of it during the entire day, polo shirts are a great way to go. Practical, cheap, you can get them at... Uh, Target or Walmart or wherever, and probably in every single color you need, you're gonna have trouble with purple. For some reason, nobody makes purple shirts for men. Um, you can still find them, but they're just not as common. But <laughs> purple are pretty easy to find in women's. So, unfortunately, I yeah. look absolutely awful in polo shirts. So I pretty much never wear them if I can get away with it. I tend to wear things that are a bit more loose fitting. Well, you know, I mean, I look uh, absolutely awful in women's shirts, so I can <laughs> sympathize. I can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, if it were up to me, I'd just wear this Celtic robe everywhere I go and look completely ridiculous. And if anyone asks, I'm just LARPing. <laughs> <laughs> 
you know, LARPing is just a subset of life, right? Isn't everything in life LARPing? You're going through life pretending, you know, you, you put on a role. And some of us just identify with, with it really strongly, right? So you're like, oh, I'm a businessman, so I'm wearing my businessman LARPing suit. I'm going to do business stuff. Got my bag of dice. It looks like a laptop. <laughs> see, see now I'm picturing like a, a whole role-playing game involving going to an office and dealing with bosses. <laughs> yeah, you know. So in uh, there's this podcast out there called Hello from the Magic Tavern. Yes, yes, very it? much. Office. They have bosses. a. Uh, That's what I was thinking of, yeah. but I was like trying to avoid. <laughs> the name drops but i guess we're doing the name drop anyway so <laughs> yeah but, but if you think about it like it, the the role-playing game idea or the larping idea it's a really good metaphor for a lot of uh sort of the occult stuff and how and sort of like the magical view of the universe right so and you you see this like maybe even more honestly put forward in some of the chaos magic stuff where they're right. talking about you know you need to be able to like assume and drop beliefs anytime you want or or take on different roles anytime you want or even in like the golden dawn where you have assuming of god forms and things where you're always kind of faking something <coughs> and it gets even better like you go back to the pgm to the greek magical papyri where you'll stand right up in the middle of a ritual and be like hey everybody i'm moses and i'm cool <laughs> so maybe larping is just modern magic yeah, to some effect, I imagine. Um, though, I don't think most people doing LARPing think of it that way. <laughs> I don't think most people living their lives think of it that way, but I would I would argue that even going about your life when you put on different roles and take on different things, you get a different job, you act some way to impress your coworkers, you act some way to impress a woman at the bar, you act some way to you know, make your barista spell your name right on your coffee cup like all of it you're sort of putting on different shells and different personas fair enough i although i feel like i'm possibly paraphrasing what about bob i'm unfamiliar <laughs> it's a movie it's a it's a well i don't know i actually don't know if it's a good movie but in my memory it's a good movie <laughs> um, and it's like bill murray and richard dreyfus maybe and it's it's like a crazy person and a psychologist and, you know, hilarity ensues. Hmm. <laughs> so but one of the things in that movie is the, the idea of these masks. Like the psychologist has this book about masks and you put on different masks and those are your personas and things. Makes sense. I guess right now I'm wearing a druid mask. <laughs> I, I can't see it, but I hope it's cool. I hope it's got amazing eyebrows. Um... <laughs> my eyebrows are blonde so they're kind of hard to see uh well you know so what have you been up to in magic lately that you can talk about well i've been up to i guess one of the things that i've been working on a lot uh which i think you've probably I, i've probably talked to you about this um lately is i've been doing a lot of astrological magic so that's you know, learning how to do elections and learning how to kind of interpret them and figuring out what's right and what's wrong, um, which is just sort of part of the equation because beyond that, you've got sort of like the creation of astrological images. You've got the creation of like physical talismans. You've got the consecration of stuff. You So there's a, it's kind of 
there, there's part of it that's like really free form, which I really enjoy, and part of it that's sort of um, a combination of highly technical and highly interpretive. And then, um, and then there's also all the stuff that nobody seems to really agree on, but we still somehow have experts, which I find very fascinating. Uh, but yeah, astrological magic has been really kind of one of my focuses lately. And I've also been starting to get into, oh man, it's probably been a couple of years now that I've been working on this, but uh, Greek magical papyri stuff, like PGM magic, which is really fun because it's all super old, super weird, and we don't really have a whole complete idea of what was going on, but, um, you know, we've, we're still trudging ahead and making shit fill in the blanks so i guess that's mostly what i've been doing yeah i made i made my girlfriend do the uh the steely of jew uh the other night uh, the, i i i feel like that's i have not yet done that ritual uh that's sort of on my list of things to start doing very soon i i would love to have that in my toolbox um but one of the things i love about that one is it's it's one of the earliest papyri that got sort of translated and distributed Right. And then, you know, Crowley got it. And the minute Crowley gets anything, stuff goes haywire. So, <laughs> you know, we don't really... So we, we kind of lost, like, a really clear idea of what the ritual is about. And then there's a zillion different names for it. Like, do you call it the Bornless Rite or the Headless Rite or the Stele of Jew? Or or what's the, what, what are you going to call it? And I don't like calling it the Stele of Jew because I don't know how to pronounce that right. <laughs> So, uh, I don't even know what I default to. I generally default to the headless right. I don't know why I didn't this time. <laughs> I guess because I'm I was cool trying to say right? as it say it is as it's written in the the copy of the PGM that I have, which yeah, I'm not now. Well, that I'm thinking back now. I'm not even sure which one it's labeled as in that, or if it's even labeled. I think it is called the Stele of you in the pgm but i'm super cool with calling it the headless right i think that's a cool name i think it is too and it kind of like brings up images of the headless horseman <laughs> <laughs> oh man i i'm gonna carve a pumpkin this year and it's gonna have the um the crown carved on it <laughs> i i actually Mid tripped over the paper crown this morning when i was getting ready to to go out the door. <laughs> I don't think you're supposed to store that on the floor. No, and I was a little bit perturbed, and then I put it in the <laughs> box with the rest of my magic stuff. So. Uh -huh. Yeah, I have plans to do that. So, uh, actually, so I, one of the things that I've been experimenting with is making ink. That's um, cool. It would be cool if it worked. I haven't yet gotten it to work, but I've been you know, I've been sort of like collecting the um, like carbonized remains of plant offerings and stuff. So I've got a little tin that's full of, you know, like blackened, burnt laurel leaves and bits of myrrh and frankincense and things like that. And so um, I don't know. I suspect there's going to be a few more failed experiments before I succeed. But what I really want to do is use that to make an ink that I can write the 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 lettering and symbols on the crown with. Oh, that would be uh, awesome. 
It would be awesome. I, I will totally send you a picture if it works. I honestly, so I've got, um, shit, what's the stuff called? Uh, gum Arabic. So I've got gum, I've got like artists gum Arabic, got a mortar and pestle. I've got some papyrus. I've got some quills and some brushes if need be. So it's, it's on my list of things to do, but I'm kind of approaching it slowly at this point because I don't know. Anytime you embark on like a new magical working, at least for me, it always takes, you know, you have to sort of like get the idea and then there's like a research phase where you're sort of like, okay, what am I going to try? How am I going to do it? And like with the headless, right? You go out there and everybody has written about it. And when I say everybody, I mean like uh, Leonardo and Sam Block. <laughs> but, but, you know, a lot of people have written about it. And so there's there's different versions and different approaches to it. So I've been kind of like sifting through those and putting together something that looks pretty reasonable to me. And then there's the whole crafting portion. This is one of the things I love about being an occultist is all of the crafting. There's always like, oh, you've got to make this thingamajig. And so you have to, so, you know, I, I sew a lot and I glue things together a lot and um that sort of thing so i just finished uh, crafting the uh the uh, ring and cross from the celtic golden dawn yesterday oh yeah that's john michael greer's book yep that's actually what i've been working through and uh i think there's still a little bit of paint on my fingers from uh when i was painting it (laughs) is it how is it is it good have you looked at other golden dawn stuff um, I also have self-initiation into the Golden Dawn. Um, oh, the big green brick? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that book. Um, I haven't looked at it in ages, but I know exactly where it is on my bookshelf. Uh, that's. I found that book difficult to use because it doesn't have a very good index. In fact, I think the edition that I have has no index at all. Yeah. Um, I, it, I'll be honest, I can I kind of, I got it, I thumbed through it, and was like, well, this is completely overwhelming, and set it to the side, and I haven't really touched it since. <laughs> um, though I've, that, I've, that... I've dabbled in a little bit of the uh, ancillary materials that they put out, like the, uh, some uh, what was it, uh, Angels of the Tarot, something like that, Invoking the Angels of the Tarot, mm-hmm. I think is the name of that one, and then uh, the I also have the, their uh, Golden Ton Tarot deck which includes oh. like some more simple rituals like their version of the the uh the the lesser pentagram and hexagram and all that sort of stuff oh cool um, i don't think it. i've seen that actually but um like john michael i've known john michael for a super long time i met him in um southern oregon back in probably like 2002 2003 oh that's cool and we were next door neighbors oh or, wow that's vaguely next door neighbors we lived like a block apart but i used to go over to his house all the time and i'd like bring beer over and i'd sit on his couch and i'd ask him some question and john michael he's got one of those brains that is like some sort of supercomputer plugged into like an encyclopedia (laughs) so you just like open a gate and out comes this torrent of stuff and i'd I would try to absorb it, and I'd try to take notes and stuff. Um, but yeah, we worked through some of the Golden Dawn material, and uh, there. Oh, I'm trying to remember the specifics, but this was the first time that I ever did planetary magic. It was probably 2003, 2004, and this was before 
um, electional astrology for astrological magic had really started to become popular. So we didn't really talk about that very much, but I remember we were looking at the um, Israel Regardi's Big Black Golden Dawn book and then Agrippa and talking about how to make astrological talismans. Um, and he, he took me through all sorts of stuff like how to make the sigils using magic squares and all these sorts of things. And, um, and I did. I made, uh, I believe I made a uh, Venus talisman. But I never really saw any effects from it. I don't think it actually worked or it actually did anything. And I have no idea what even happened to the talisman. It might be tucked in some book somewhere or something like that. But it was a, a paper talisman. But it was my first sort of experiment with that. I love the, like, a lot of those talisman sorts of things. They're, they're you know, it's uh, compass and um, straight rule, straight edge sort of things where you're making these geomet uh, you know geometric figures on paper and sort of tracing everything out I I love that experience of it that's really fun yeah that well that's what I had to do to make the the uh, I mean obviously it's simple geometry but the the instructions in the book just say you know make it to these specifications and you have to do all the measurements and draw it all out and then cut it out of a scroll out of you know wood with I used a scroll saw. <laughs> That's pretty cool. I I haven't um, I haven't really done very much woodworking. I've I really done... like Sculpey though. <laughs> well, you know, I've done a lot of clay stuff. Um, oh yeah, I've seen Sumerian some of your stuff. Yeah. And uh, that I've looks... done I've done some wood. I did uh, my first my first like the first wand I ever did was out of uh, out of maple. Um, uh -huh. And I like I I carved that and then carved runes in it and stained it and and all that sort of stuff. So put the handle on it. Like I'm like I made that from scratch. Um, yeah, that's a little more um, a little more handy and maybe skilled than I am with uh, with wood. I haven't really done any cool wood stuff. I'm I like working with working bleh, words. I like working with wood. Um, the only problem is, like, every time I do it, I have to go over to my dad's, and he, like, anytime I'm doing anything too weird, he gives me weird looks, and uh, so I don't like to go over there and use his tools too much. Cause, so once I get a get a house, I'm gonna be like getting all my own stuff, so I don't have to bother him anymore. Um, oh, you're gonna make your own workshop. Hopefully. Um, oh, that sounds pretty cool. But uh, that's part of why I like doing clay is because I can just do that at home. I don't have to bother anybody. Um, yeah. But I, I love w working with wood. My my grandfather was actually a, like a woodworker. He made like he did carpentry in his later years, and he made some pretty beautiful wood pieces. Like like he did like an Indian chief made entirely of like layers of like wood cut into different shapes, and then like stacked it all up and glued it all together and painted it it, it looked really mm -hmm. really cool and like growing up my toy toy box was one that he had made and and all sorts of stuff so like woodworking has been in the family as far as, as far back as i'm aware of so so i love working well, with wood and i have stuff that's... scattered around the apartment that i've made like i have the uh 
the small little book um, book holder thing, like slide, sliding. Uh, it's one of the ones with like the sliding panel to like so you put a bunch of trade paperbacks in it, in it and it like slides to hold them. Um, and I currently have, I have all of no my... idea what that is. Well, anyways, I have a book <laughs> holder thing that I made. Uh huh. Um, that I have all my Douglas Adams books in. <laughs> um, and I have like a bowl that I made and mm-hmm. stuff. So I haven't done really all that much, but I also don't have my own tools. So, well, I mean, I have some tools, but I don't have any yeah. of my own like power tools. I, live in a tiny I think, apartment. um, uh, yeah, for me, like, uh, my dad's woodworking skills when I was a kid was just chopping wood. <laughs> well, I did plenty so of we that made, growing up, too. Yeah, we made lots of great, like, triangular shaped long things that fit <laughs> great in a fireplace. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, honestly, I'm... that's one thing that I love about doing occult stuff is, like, all the crafting things it Mm -hmm. it really it gets very hands-on and i love that which is honestly part of what part of why i ended up moving away from wicca pretty early on was that was mostly buying things and that's not just as that's just not as fun (laughs) it's not as satisfying i mean i you know there's still i still get a kick out of it uh oh you know actually just so i recently when i probably like last year i i upgraded my incense burner you know like the thing that holds the charcoal Mm -hmm. and i got a thurible which is like a sensor with a chain so you you know you can swing it i just got one of those for my uh celtic golden dawn work yeah they're very handy you know the the experience of like having resin burning in there and just smoke billowing out and being able to like move it around your ritual space easily is great but when i got it i was like oh you know this would free up ritual space if i could hang it somewhere so I didn't really have a good way to hang it, and I tried to like jerry rig some stuff, and it never worked out. But just the other day, I was uh, up on Alberta Street, which is a sort of like a trendy hipstery street in Northeast Portland, and I walked into a nursery, like a garden garden store, and I was just sort of looking around at the plants, and I came across um, like these uh, plant hangers that stick out of a wall. Oh, nice. And some of them were small, and they were perfect. So <laughs> I got one. I haven't hung it on my wall, but I've, I'm going to have like a an awesome place to hang my thurible soon, which I'm sure is going to just revolutionize magic in general. <laughs> and there will be a book out in early 2020 about hanging your thurible on a wall. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not going to actually be able to use mine until after I move because the. Uh... Landlord doesn't like me doing anything with fire, so like I've been using LED candles and and you lots can't of... do anything with fire. No, I've had to use like and for, instead of incense, I've been using like an oil, like essential oils, just kind of making them. What about romantic for... candlelit dinners? Um, LED candles. <laughs> <laughs> That's been my solution. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I it use LED works, candles for a but, lot of stuff too, but but there's definitely it. There, there's definitely an energy to it that you kind of lose when you're using stand-ins like that. There's something there's something about going the extra step and doing the the full thing that. Yeah. I don't know if it's you just know, a I mindset guess... thing or what, but like, there's definitely a potency that's gained with all the extra accoutrements. <laughs> 
here, here's something to think about with LEDs. LEDs are a um, special property of crystals because an LED uh, lights up because uh, when uh, current passes through a specific type of crystalline structure. And I believe a lot of LEDs are used with are, are made with some form of quartz, but but they are actually pretty special. You know, they are a they are a weird material. Um, characteristic that that we've discovered and utilized. So in a way, I I feel okay with them just because of how bizarre they are. But perhaps uh, practitioners would feel better about LEDs if they looked into how they worked. Yeah. Because I think once you see that, you see like, holy shit, these things are weird little bits of magic. I mean, I know how they work. I used to dabble in in making circuitry as a kid. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, yeah, uh, I, I like them. I like them for that purpose. But yeah, you're right. There is something nice about having fire. But also, I find, you know, if you get an LED that's uh, sort of that sort of mimics candlelight, like the the flickering and the randomness of it. Yeah, that was I actually that what they, I was about to say. That like the best yeah. ones that I found were the ones that flickered like candlelight. Mm-hmm. I feel like so the, I the flickering some of those. Some, does something. It's like something to like taps into something primal like sitting around the fire and listening to to old folk stories yeah i think it's the uncertainty of the light and the the variation in shadows like if it helps you know if it makes the shadows dance a little bit or move a little bit it helps you get in the mood right yeah i've definitely noticed that my candles that my my uh, led candles that flicker seem to be work better for scrying than using the ones that don't or using like flashlights <laughs> oh yeah in fact i've actually um used an arduino to program um flickering leds to use for scrying before oh, that's cool i never yeah, thought of works, doing that yeah it works pretty well um there's some pretty good uh code out there to to sort of like uh imitate candlelight so you can get like multicolored LEDs and and have that going on and it sort of it creates a very bizarre effect and I've I've used that to good effect with uh, scrying in a crystal ball. Yeah, I haven't really uh, messed with Arduinos before. The closest I've come is playing around with my Raspberry Pi. <laughs> Raspberry Pis are good, but they are. Oh wait, we probably don't get don't want to get too nerdy about this, but um, Raspberry Pis are are not as good for like directly controlling sort of like the the pulse of an led so uh arduinos are great for it they're very simple little machines and they're they're you know i guess using them for leds is a little overkill but it works pretty well yeah um i'm sure yeah. you could probably pull that off with a couple of timing chips 555s <laughs> Oh, yes, probably. Yeah, actually, you could. Uh, yeah, actually, one of my favorite... So I have... Um, <laughs> I got these little... Uh, these little... They're, they're horribly ugly little LED things. They're just basically like tiny yellow plastic towers. They're maybe as tall as a quarter and as thin as a dime. Hmm. And they've, they've got like a couple watch batteries in him and a tiny little led that just does random colors and all of it is done on the microchip in the led i don't totally know how it works they're very 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 tiny but uh yeah i've also stringed some of those together like ripped the 
ripped the devices apart and sort of soldered the LEDs together and hooked them up to a battery. And that works pretty well, too. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I think, you know, stuff like um, scrying in particular, a lot of it is about the, the mindset of the practitioner, right? Like, sure, there's there's ritual involved, and some of the ritual might be really important. Some of the ritual might um, do a good job of, like, uh, setting up your space and clearing, you know, I don't know, I, I'm going to, I'm going to use some magic-y words now, like sort of clearing your astral atmosphere, you know, making sure that you're in kind of a pure space. Right. But another thing that you have to deal with is the fact that we are material creatures and in order to kind of like interact with that sort of magical space, we need a way to trick our material senses you know scrying in particular like when you're looking into a crystal ball uh, or any sort of scrying surface um, a big part of it is kind of the interface between your material senses your material perception and your imaginal perception and finding a way to sort of like not only blur those lines but allow the imaginal perception to kind of lead through and if you can accept the fact that sometimes that happens because of the the flickering nature of the light and the changing nature of shadow and the way that <clears throat> that your perception has a comfortable but unpredictable um, quality to it you know fire you know candles are like that you know they're comfortable but they're unpredictable you never know what the light is going to do next right so once you can kind of let yourself get into that, I think that it helps a lot in sort of building that kind of um, atmosphere. So, for instance, I used um, I used the Arduino LED trick with uh, uh, my adaptation of uh, Seven Spheres, like Rufus Opus's uh, drawing spirits into crystals thing. So when you do that, you can have the LEDs match the planet that you're working with. You can have um, you can have all sorts of stuff that sort of helps invoke the kind of energy you're trying to work with. Oh, but I you wish still I would have thought of that when I was working through it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's still it's still a trick, you know, because you have world? to have things. Sorry, what a, in the world? A dove just flew into my window. <laughs> oh, it's Jesus! Is it Jesus? <laughs> At this point in the recording, a dove flew into my window and interrupted the recording because I turned around and, and do, so doing, yanked out my audio cord. And we're back. That was <laughs> ridiculous. That was Jesus. <laughs> I, I guess. Uh, so what were we talking about? We talked about LEDs and we talked about... I think it was something to do with scrying. I... I don't quite remember. <laughs> oh, yeah. We talked a little bit about scrying, and we talked about sort of like the how a big part of scrying is sort of like the change in mindset. And, you know, I, I'm pretty sure that like any type of scrying involves uh, some kind of trance, right? And getting yourself into a trance isn't going to be simply some kind of boilerplate ritual. You know, everybody's going to have some sort of different method. And there's going to be ways that are easier and ways that are tougher. Uh, and some people are probably super good at it and some people aren't. And then of course there's that old thing about like some people just can't scry. Right. I don't know if that's true or not. I think probably a lot of people who haven't found themselves able to scry just haven't found the right technique or something. But 
I'm not an expert, so I, I can't really speak to that. It could be that there are people who just can't scry, period. But, um, you know, I mean, for me, like, uh, I've experienced success at scrying and lots of failure at scrying. It's not a... Um, it's It doesn't come, like, supernaturally to me. I, I have to work at it, you know, getting into a, the right kind of trance state and kind of, you know... Because there's a, there's a loss of control there. Well, and... you know, the thing about it is... I used to think I was one of these people that can't scry uh-huh. until I did the lunar initiation from Seven Spheres, and now it works every time without issue, and it's really easy for me now. So, well, I did that lunar initiation the same time you did. Did you? Yeah, it was through Charm the Water, right? No, I did mine later. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, I did I did the lunar initiation the same time um, Aaron... Uh, sort of led the lunar initiation thing. Yeah, I did. Uh, I was doing the sun around that time. Um, okay. Different day, not the same. Like the not the same election, but that was where I was at at the time. So. I don't think we used an election at all. I think it was just a Friday or a Monday. But I don't. I don't remember. I'm not one to talk. I always just go to you. <laughs> When's the best time for this? <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know. I'm. I don't think that I'm necessarily the best for it, but I do. So here is something that I. I feel like I've learned from um, studying electional astrology, and this is just from, you know, we're in the 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 lunar cry uh, chat thing with with uh, with a bunch of other people, and there's a few of us that are really really focused on uh, electional astrology, and one thing that I've definitely noticed is that it's really easy once you start looking at electional astrology to just focus on how difficult it is to find a good election, you know, like where you, you, depending on which book you're using or how many books you're using and how many sources you're learning from, you can get totally swamped and totally just underwater with, with rules and restrictions and things that are going to stop you from doing magic. Um, Yeah. Honestly, that's part of what's kept me away from trying to, delve deep into it is because of because how daunting it seems because there's so many variables and I'm very very logically minded I tend to like things that you know it's like to have a formula and it's so open-ended that it, it seems pretty overwhelming yeah I'm sure once I like sit down and decide to actually try to learn it I'll probably pick it up pretty quickly that's usually how it goes but it's pretty easy for me to look at stuff and feel very overwhelmed. Well, um, I mean, that's kind of how I felt when I first looked at the Kabbalah. I can understand that. I'm, I mean, I'm not the best, but I have, you know, enough of a not working knowledge to make some kind of use of it. So, yeah, all of these systems are like that, um, or all of the like really technical systems are like that. Uh, relating it to Kabbalah is a really good. Uh, Segway, actually. Eh, segue isn't the right word. It's a really, I think it's a, there's a really good analogy in Kabbalah where, um, you know, part of part of the work of a Kabbalist is to sort of like ascend the tree of life and kind of like experience the different um, sephirot and sort of see how each one of them sort of, you know, relates to creation as a whole. And each sephirot has this kind of um, universal nature to it that kind of like encompasses one aspect or one trait really strongly uh when you get to hod which is the 
eighth, eighth Sephiroth, maybe seventh. Hell, I don't know. It's one of those two. Um, it sort of encompasses the intellect and seventh memory. And I always sort of refer to. Yep, you were right. Okay, so eighth <laughs> is Hode. Uh, so I always sort of look at Hode and think of it as the um, there's a there's a trap there's a trap in each Sephiroth. And the trap is sort of like a part of the part of the characteristic of that sphere that um, that is so strong that you just want to get stuck there and stay there. And in Hode, it's the intellect. So the the Hode trap is is what catches magicians, I think, most of the time because it's all about kind of like learning every single rule, following every single procedure, getting everything so absolutely right, but but being so obsessed with the rightness and correctness of everything that you you stop doing the work and instead just focus on all of these rules and regulations. I'd be lying if I said that that trap hadn't caught me for a while. <laughs> oh, it it catches me over and over again. You know, it's it's a very common trap because most of the people that I suspect that most of the people who are attracted to Western mystery tradition stuff, especially who are doing like ceremonial magic or, or ritual magic, um, you know, the, we want to get everything right. You know, I mean, you look at like the grimoire purists or, or what we were talking about before, like astrological elections. There are so many rules out there and so many contradictions that you can just get swept up in this sort of like everything has to be perfect. I have to make sure that all the angles are right, that no bad things happen. And in this, in the, in the quest for perfection, you're ignoring, you know, one of the fundamental truths that draws us to occult knowledge in the first place, which is that the reason we have to do this is because things aren't perfect yet. So you're not, you're not going to find perfection in a universe that has not reached perfection itself. That's, Ooh. that's a really great quote. <laughs> I need to print that out and stick it on my wall. <laughs> ah, it should be in the show notes. <laughs> I hopefully I'll remember. Hey, hey, editing Vanessa of the future, please remember to put that in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I want to tweet that. <laughs> but um, so so with the with the electional astrology, one of the things that I've really been looking at, like first of all, I try to limit my sources. You know, so so there are topics in astrology, like sort of, you know, categories of things like you have to you have to learn what aspects are and you have to learn what the signs are and the houses and all these different things, dignities and transits and blah, 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 blahs. And those are just sort of like the vague. That's the vocabulary. But then when it comes down to the actual election itself, you have you have things that are good and things that are bad. Uh, you will never find a perfect election. Okay, ne never is a strong word. You'll rarely, rarely find a perfect election. But if you want to get good at doing astrological magic, that means you have to practice. And the only way to practice is to practice with imperfect elections. So you try to find elections that are that are good and strong in the things that you want and that aren't bad and weak in the things that you want. So it's always kind of a balancing act. And I've been trying to figure out a way to like categorize these or um, systematize it. And I haven't really found a good way. I think that a lot of it has to be kind of subjective. You know, if you're, uh, I mean, I'm struggling to think of a good example right at the moment, but I, I have a, an election coming up that I'm going to be working, which is to the, uh, the ointment of the sun um, 
ritual from the Picatrix. And there are some rules in there that are really easy to meet and some rules in there that are really hard to meet. And I had to figure out, like, what are the most important parts? Like, what are the aspects of this election that are the most important to me? Because you can see when you look at the election, it's kind of focused on solar things Mm -hmm. and uh, Mars things. So I had to find places where I could emphasize as many solar and Mars bits as possible. Um, and then, and then just try to keep all of the big bad stuff from like farting on it. <laughs> so I love that description, <laughs> but it's always like that. You're never going to find the perfect election. I have a, so I talked earlier about a, a the, the first um, planetary talisman I made, which was a, a Venus talisman back before I knew anything about elect- electional astrology um, that I don't think worked at all. I think it was a total failure. I don't, I didn't get any real effects from it, but I do have a, a newer Venus talisman that I made um, like a year ago or two years ago. when I was first sort of looking at a less uh, astrological magic and I made a talisman um, in the degree of Venus's exaltation. And when I was looking at it, I didn't necessarily understand all of the rules. I don't know if I'd finished reading the Picatrix. I was just sort of like, ooh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go make a talisman. And I still use it. It's great. When I go back and look at the election, it, I wince. I'm like, oh, shit, did I do that? But uh, the talisman still works for me, and I get benefit from it. Um, hey, there you go. That's kind of the point. It is the point. And I think that a lot of times you have to experiment. Um, it could be that... You know, I, I, there's. I think that there's a. I've seen a lot of talk about this, but I haven't really seen very much um, system involved in this. Is that maybe sometimes the power of a talisman is tied to your own natal chart, uh, and that could be the case. I don't know. It could be that there's other aspects and other elements that we aren't able to take into account very well. It could be that like. It could be, you know, I sometimes I think of talismans as kind of a type of astrological photography. You know, you take a snapshot of some... That's how I've always seen them. Yeah, but sometimes you take a picture and you get a surprise, right? Sometimes you take a picture and in the background it's Bigfoot. Or <laughs> How did I know that was the example you were going to give? I don't know, maybe it's <laughs> astrological. <laughs> <laughs> I think, honestly, though, that's the whole reason that the Sumerian current worked so well for me, was there's enough there that you can work from, but not so much that you can get bogged down. Mm-hmm. And there's enough play in the system that you're kind of forced to, you know, play a game of guess and check, you yeah. know, get messy and see what happens. Oh, yeah. And uh, I think it kind of forced me to get outside of that. And, uh, you know, as you know, I've, I've finished working through Seven Spheres as filtered through that current. Mm-hmm. And now I feel like I can approach anything and take everything that I learned from doing that. And that's part of why I've started, you know, doing the uh, Celtic Golden Dawn is, you know, if I had tried to start with that, I don't think I w- would have had the right mindset the right approach the right like willingness to color inside the lines but at the same time be willing to make it my own if that makes it any kind of sense no no that makes a lot of sense um yeah i mean i didn't so i worked through uh 
uh, Donald, my, my first like really systematized approach to learning was uh, Donald Michael Craig's Modern Magic, which is... Yep, I ha- I've, I've worked in that a little bit. Yeah. I found it a little bit too... Um, Christian-y? Heady, for lack of a better term. Oh, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I mean, I, I used a an early version, I think, um, in... I probably got mine in 99 or 2000. And when I started working through it, I was part of a an email group um, who was all sort of doing the same stuff. And we discussed things a lot. And there was a lot of sort of, like, adaptations of the rituals in there. Like, none of us were... Uh, Golden Dawn initiates, or maybe some of us were, I don't know, but but a lot of us were just sort of like, oh, this doesn't work for me, or oh, I want to change this, I want to change this. And like through that, you know, I've got my own version of the uh, Banishing Ritual of the Pentagram that, that I created over time. I never use it anymore, but it's still there if I need it. But yeah, it's... Um, I. Oh, sorry. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Oh, no. I was just saying, like, I think a lot of those rituals... Well, first of all, the Golden Dawn rituals were all made up. Right. You know, none, none of those were... None of those were, like, ancient, sacrosanct rituals from time immemorial. They were modern rituals from the 1860s to 1880s that, that were then just sort of like, oh, these are these are it now. So you have to... You have to be flexible with a lot of that, and and I think that we it it, it serves us really well to remember, you know, uh, the the PGM should help us with this because when you look through the PGM, you find stuff like um, these, uh, you know, like litanies to Agathos Daimon, for instance, the what is it, the Harpon Knufi formula, which is littered throughout the PGM. But it's different in every single place. So so they were passed down sort of like verbally and then written down later by people who had been using them and, and happy with them for a long time and didn't end up with the same magic words. And that's the same the same is true of the Sumerian and Babylonian system. Mm-hmm. There's like multiple versions of the same tablet even in some cases. Right. Um, and so that was part of part of what led me to feeling more flexible is you know if even they didn't have one correct approved way of doing things then maybe there isn't a one correct way of doing things maybe it's just you know it's an imperfect universe you gotta make do (laughs) yeah i think it's just you know remember that uh orthodoxy is what gets witches killed (laughs) right (laughs) so true (laughs) um but but yeah, I ended up making my own version of the pentagram ritual. Though honestly, I'm fi- starting to find the uh, the Celtic Golden Dawn one at least more fun. I don't know if I necessarily find it more powerful, but certainly more fun. Well, there's a lot more dancing involved. <laughs> I've uh, you know I've done ritual with uh, GM with uh, John Michael, and if there's one thing he knows about ritual, and I'm not going to. Okay, one of the things that he's really good at with ritual is making it fun. Like, first of all, he's an outstanding ritualist. There's no doubt about it. But he he's not going to do magic that isn't fun. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm really glad to hear that. I, I haven't um, I haven't gotten one of his books in quite a while, and or at least not one of his magic books. I've been I've been following his uh, fiction stuff, but uh, but that's one thing that I always remember, like going over to his house to sort of you know 
bask in his intellectual glow. It was always just <laughs> he had the weirdest collection of books and his his like side interests were always so bizarre and everything that he would introduce you to you could just see like he like his eyes would light up you'd be like oh my god that reminds me of this thing I've been looking at lately and he'd pull out a book on like you know bodybuilders in the 1860s or uh smoked herbal victorian recipes or like just weird he had the weirdest collection of stuff but it was all that it was so he he loves the fun part of it i think and uh maybe he doesn't think of it that way though sometimes i think he yeah anyhow he loves fun so if his rituals are good and fun then you're definitely getting some authentic john michael experience yeah um and also his the the Kabbalah approach in it is something that I've been able to actually wrap my mind around a lot better mm-hmm. than other systems that I've looked at. Um, the closest that I was able to come before was the uh, relating it to astrological things. Uh huh. Um, you know, such as you know putting the the planets on the Sephirot and the and, and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um. Also, the tarot approach kind of helped somewhat too, but yeah, yeah, some of that feels a little off. Um, but uh, but his approach is to relate it to geomantic figures, and that just feels so raw in a way that feels. I have trouble describing things in words when it comes to this sort of stuff, but like, it just feels so. It, like getting your hands dirty in the just the right ways, if for lack of a better term. No, I can see that. That makes sense. Um, yeah, I, uh, I have. I guess I kind of want to get this book now. I should totally take a look at it. <laughs> I'm really enjoying it. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's on my mind because it's what I've been doing. Uh-huh. So. <laughs> I, I've, uh, I've kind of gone all out. I wasn't sure what it, how I was going to approach it when I first decided I was going to work through it, but I I've gone all out. Like I've gone, I went to the both of the local pagan shops and spent like over two hundred dollars on just like stuff to go along with it. Oh, <laughs> books on like all sorts of like Celtic mythology and Celtic zodiac, and I got like a, a new. Uh, magical journal just specifically for it with a, uh, a Celtic knot on the front um, nice that I've been using to keep to keep track of my work in it and I got this uh, this robe that I'm wearing or I mean uh, cloak that I'm wearing mm-hmm. and uh, a staff like I've gone all out with it like a dru- with druidry accoutrements for it to to really set the stage and it's, I found it a lot of fun, and I fully admit, like, a good third of it is just... A good two-thirds of it is just me LARPing Druidry for the fun of it, but... <laughs> well, I feel... It's it's really it's really given the whole thing a very potent, like, intense... Yeah, uh, yeah, I totally, flavor. I totally know where you're coming from. And part of that, I think, is... You know, I mean, when I was talking about the LARPing stuff before, I, I, I know that it it sounded like a joke and part of it is a joke, but part of it is also a reflection on the way our, our experience in the world works, right? Like ritual. I feel like that could be, that could be a summation of magic in general. Oh yeah, absolutely. (laughs) 
but but part of the reason ritual works is we get into a ritual space right and there's no space that we occupy more intimately than the space inside the lump of matter that we consider us so right. when you robe that and cloak it and cleanse it and do things that 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 help it enter into ritual land you're i mean it, it makes total sense you know what i mean um you know, I I've got my my special ritual robe that I do when I do ritual in the morning. I I cleanse myself in a specific way. I get ready in a specific way. And so the entire preparation, like the preparation of my body, is just as important as the preparation of my mind. Um, and part of that is the clothing. So that makes total sense. But also, it means that you shouldn't wear your your Celtic cloak out in public after all. Because you should, <laughs> yeah, fair enough. You should set it aside for your special sacred workings. You know, it's it's special now. Makes sense. I, I gotta say, like, I actually have a daily practice now. I've not kept to it perfectly, but like, I at least have made an attempt, which is more than I could say for the past. Mm-hmm. Um, in the past, at most, if I remembered, I would try to uh, put offerings on the altar. For the deities that I work with, uh-huh. but uh, now I've uh, I've tried to do the uh, invoking form of the Lesser Pentagram ritual from the Celtic Golden Dawn every morning when I wake up, and the Banishing form before bed. Oh, um, nice! That's a good practice. So, I uh, when I was doing the 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 rich the Pentagram ritual really regularly, I tied it to the phase of the moon. So when the moon, uh, let me try to remember this. I think what I was doing was when the moon was waxing, I would do the invoking ritual and the moon was waning the banishing ritual. Hmm. I got the idea for uh, doing it with my sleep cycle from uh, the book uh, Living Thelema Mm -hmm. by uh, David Schumacher. Wow. Um, I thought that was a really good way of doing it. And so... That's not actually what uh, Greer has in the Celtic Golden Dawn is what he recommends, but Mm -hmm. it's what I started doing because I thought that was such a good idea. Yeah, that sounds like a good idea. So yeah, I think to to sum that all up, if it's not fun, why are you even doing it? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, sometimes it's necessary. Sometimes it doesn't even matter if it's fun. Sometimes you just got to do it. But... You're never going to run into that position in the world of magic unless you've already been doing it for a while, right? I think even in that case, there's things that you can do to make it fun and still do whatever you need to accomplish. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm not sure that like magic shit always works that well when it's done out of desperation. I think that you need to have a better mindset for it. Well, you definitely can never rely on it entirely on its own, right? So... Right, to, to quote Crowley, beware lust for results. Yeah. God. Although that itself is the sort of thing that like totally fucked up the way chaos magic gets presented all the time. True. Where people are like, You launch the sigil and then you just forget about it entirely. I'm like, no, that's bullshit. Like you don't that's you know if I've got something that I'm working on that I'm going to be launching a sigil for, it's not going to be the only thing I do. Like I'll do a sigil and then keep working on it. So I'm not going to forget about the sigil. Right. You know, well, what I usually try to do is incorporate that sigil into some sort of artwork. 
yeah, I think that works pretty well. I am not awesome at artwork, so... Oh, but you know what? Every time you make any sort of talisman or any sort of planetary magic, a lot of times there's still sigils and artwork involved. Yeah, that's a form of artwork. Yeah, and I think this is something that doesn't really get explored very much, um, it, especially with, like, uh, image magic, which is associated with the the planetary astrological stuff a lot, where we're given these, like prescribed images you'll find it in the picatrix you'll find it in some of the sort of like the associated arabic image magic stuff you find it in agrippa you find it in everything where it's always like you know the image of this is blah 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 or agrippa is a great example where it's got like the catalog of of uh, planets and like the angels attached to them and the intelligences and all these sorts of things and it gives their sigils which is great but then what we forget is that a lot of these are like very specific recipes with very specific um, elections and very specific things going on. And maybe they need to be looked at in a little different way. Maybe we should look at them as more of a magical journal. Like, oh, I did this and it worked. And here's where everything was. Um, which sort of begs the question, where do the images come from? And that's right. that's a different experience. Like, I've worked with this a little bit. Uh, and not enough that I have... Uh, results that are really strong enough to be like this is the one true way but I've worked on astrological magic in a group where I've come up with like an election and then I used um, one of Agrippa's methods for calculating a spirit name and then I've shared it with the people I was working at with I was like okay everybody here's sort of a base template like let's all work on this and we'll come back together and figure out what we've got. And so I think the last time I did this was, was with the, there were three of us. So we all came back together and every single one of us had used different methods to figure out like elements of the image. You know, one of, one of the guys I was working with was very like chaos magic oriented. So he, he invented this method of divination using YouTube. So he was like, <laughs> he was like, I thought about what we were trying to do, and I just typed some words into YouTube, and then I watched the videos that came up, and here are some images I pulled out of it, and how I saw it all interacting. Um, and then I can't remember what other people were doing, but we we created a composite image based on all of our workings, and went forward with that. Um, other times I've created astrological images or astrological talismans, where. Uh, and I, I do this a lot where I'll have it sort of split up where I do the creation of the talisman on one day and then the consecration on another. And I've had this happen sometimes where in the process of it, where it sort of goes on for a couple of days, you know, because what you want to do is you want to finish creating the physical talisman and the, phys and the, and the, and the astral image during the election. So you can start working on it way ahead of time. It's just the final form has to come together during the election and while i've been working on it i've had dreams that have given me the image um oh that's cool it's cool i've definitely used i've definitely used my dreams and my magic a lot in fact that tends to be my early warning sign for uh -huh. for workings and sometimes like like in the case of the seven spheres that's how i knew which one to do next was i would start having dreams about it leading up to it oh yeah that makes sense i mean i haven't um I haven't worked through the entire seven spheres 
system and I know which one that I'm supposed to do next and I've just been putting it off. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, but I think that a lot of times the images, the magical images that go along with these things, it's possible that a lot of them were just sort of one shots, you know, like they were supposed to be used for that particular working and you're supposed to come up with your own thing. And it's especially, you know, with stuff like, um, lunar talisman images where we've got this catalog of 28 images and you can see, um, like Nigel Jackson's work in, uh, Christopher Warnock's mansions in the moon book, you know, he created images and you can see that his own work is in there. And you can kind of see what the inspiration for the images were. Like, um, you know, the Leo images are a great example where the, the, uh, what is it? I think it's the 10th mansion is the head of Leo and the 11th mansion is the body and the 12th mansion is the tail. Don't quote me on that. I think that's what it is. But, and you can see sort of, you know, they're very, they're very beautiful images, but when you are working, when, when, when another person is working with these, I think that it's very valuable to be able to come up with images on your own and create images that are that have your own kind of power to them i think if i was going to do any sort of astrological images i would go outside look at 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 night look at the sky and use the sky as a scrying surface that is a beautiful concept i think that that's uh hard to do in a modern city but yeah, but I, definitely. But yeah, I think that's an amazing way to do it. Um, I would love to see or hear about the sorts of things that people come up with when it comes to creating their own astrological images, because I, I guess I, you know, as much as I, I think that you know, getting back to some of the earlier stuff we we're talking about with elections, where it's so easy to get kind of like bogged down in all the rules, I really think that part of the power in astrological magic is being able to. Um, open up sort of a channel way for imagery and and stuff to sort of like pour into you through you know cosmic channels i think it's also important to remember that like astrology started off as a form of watching for omens and it was just one of many oh yeah and like the old babylonian uh, astrology books they will, you know, in one moment be talking about like where the the moon is and and in terms of the zodiac, but then the, the next it'll say like, and if there's clouds, this, and if there's like birds coming from the eastern horizon, this. It's like things that aren't even like what we would these days think of as astrology are mixed in because you know it's more about, and, and they tend to change depending on the the context and even where they're located like different city states had different things to watch for and such oh man so i mean it, it, if you think about it it's sort of like modern astrology is almost a perversion of that right where original astrology was all looking up you know you you lie on your back or you sit in your Adirondack chair in your backyard and you look up at the sky and you see what's happening and modern astrologers are all looking at calculators and charts and things on their phone um, and well, well, and that's the that's the interesting thing is the Babylonians did that too. I mean, they I mean they did both. They had a really complicated uh, mathematical system, but then the way that the math worked out versus how it actually appeared changed the reading. Oh. Like if it looked different from what the math was, then the reading would be considered like rejected by the whatever god it was that they were, you know, whichever 
like if it's the moon, it was Na- like mm-hmm. Sen, the god of the moon. Like if, like for example, if uh, the moon was hidden like behind clouds that night, they would consider that as being like a rejected lunar uh, positioning, and that he was just like taking the day off, and so like all of his stuff would be cons- like thrown out for that day. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, I mean, you know, as uh, as time has gone on, we've gotten better and better and better at uh, our mathematical models for the sky. But I do not think that your uh, hold on. What is the plural of ephemeris? Ephemerides. Well, anyhow, I don't think that your ephemeris <laughs> and your and your you know uh, astrological software is any. Uh, should be your main focus you know you have to get out and look at the sky you know part of part of the beauty of like astrological magic is it is a connection with the entire cosmos you know you're you are absolutely and if you look at it in kabbalistic terms you are finding a way to like actually reach beyond the the sphere of malchut and reach out into the world into the greater cosmos and pull in influences beyond you. Um, and for that matter, like Babylonian astrologers, and were also the Babylonian astronomers, like there was no difference between, like that was one job. Mm-hmm. And like both aspects of it, like, you know, searching the heavens for learning new things about the universe and searching the heavens for omens from the gods was one thing. They, they weren't seen as separate. So like, I think... Like, for example, in my own lunar rite, growing up, my dad was always a amateur astronomer. Mm-hmm. So, like, telescopes and, and star maps and all of that was always, like, just a part of my childhood. And uh, I did a project um, back when I was in, I think it was middle school, um, where there was, like, this big, huge list of things features on the moon that you had to observe um oh that's cool and like i completed that so and you know got a certificate and even ended up in the the local paper and and all of it and uh you know got recognized by the local astronomical society and all 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 that sort of stuff and you know to do that you had to go out you couldn't just go out when the full moon was because most of the craters and stuff are just you can't see them. Mm-hmm. So even if you know where they are, you can't actually observe the, the thing until you like get the right timing. And th- so whenever I think of like astrological and timing and stuff, what's going through my mind is that experience of like, you know, having to get the right timing to even see the thing because otherwise it's too bright from the, the sun to even like notice the object is on the moon. Even if, even if it's like a massive crater, you know, if the sun's lights is directly on it, you can't see the shadow. You know, I, you can't see the thing. I think there might be something really important in there actually, which is, uh, it could be that, you know, I mean, if, if we think the moon is so important to magic, maybe the stuff that is visible on the surface of the moon, like the stuff that we can actually observe maybe that should be something that we also use. You know, I mean, all of the astrological magic we have is based on naked eye um, astronomy, like observation of the heavens using just the naked eye. You know, the, the first telescope didn't really come into 
existence until like the 17th century, at which point uh, astrological magic was pretty much dying out. So uh, why aren't we taking into account stuff that we can see now? Yeah. Um, and, and especially like back to the Babylonian astro- astrology, like one of the things that could affect the reading was whether or not the moon looked red or not which oh you can't predict that at all that's 100 percent how the atmosphere is oh yeah in the evening and that would completely flip the reading if it was red it was the opposite of whatever it was whatever it was supposed to be oh man and that is that is like spur of the moment type thing i mean right so i'm i'm out in oregon and uh luckily this year uh we haven't had this happen a whole lot but like last year, the forest fires were so bad. There were nights when you couldn't see the moon, or when you did, it looked like it was, you know, nearly eclipsed. It was so smoky in the sky. Uh, that's fascinating. That's definitely, you know, there's a lot so, of stuff that I think. Um, I, I do think that sort of, uh, you know, astrological magic has seen a huge resurgence in the last ten or fifteen years, and I think that there's a lot that we have yet to really. Uh, kind of reincorporate into how modern magic is dealing with stuff. And we're going to have to adapt. You know, we're going to have to. And this is another reason to stop or to, to avoid the, uh, the hood trap. You know, we have to like get out there and experiment and see what works. Like, is it the light? Is it the phase of the moon? Is it the location in the sky? Like what works? What doesn't? How do we, how do we um, how do we reconcile the fact that like you know fifty or a hundred years ago, if you wanted to get an astrological chart, it was like three hours of work with uh, you know compasses and straight edges and your ephemeris. Whereas now, you know, the minute we want a chart, it's it's there in a snap. You know, like just because it's getting a chart is easy now doesn't mean that understanding how the sky works is easy right and i gotta say like just just doing my during my lunar initiation like i i was paying a lot more attention to the moon and the sky and now there are certain things that i've learned just intuitively on my drive home from work Mm -hmm. that if i see the moon in a certain position like in and with like a certain phase and and all this sort of stuff um and and it's this amount of cloudy like i have an idea of what to expect when i get home from work oh (laughs) because i've just noticed patterns and even just in my home life which is weird to admit but it's something that i've i've like actually started paying attention to and i never would have done that before before my uh, lunar initiation but because of that i was paying more attention to the moon and when i was you know, and, and I started noticing those patterns. Yeah. I, and, and for me, like I have a sort of a parallel experiences, which is, you know, um, my interest in sort of like, you know, naked eye astronomy or just looking at the sky and, you know, recognizing stars and that sort of thing, uh, grew out of my, my astrological magic work. So, but I mean, I use it all the time. Like every night I go out and I look at the stars and I look at the sky and I see what I can see. And I live in a city, so it's not uh, easy. It's kind of, you know, Portland luckily isn't that bad. That's, but yeah. That's one thing I'm going to miss once I move is, uh, 
you know, I don't like the drive for the, its length, but it is nice that, like, between Columbus and Dayton, there's a good stretch of land that's just nothing but, like, cornfields. So I get a bit of bit away from... And, and, and I can, you know, if it's clear, I can I can see quite a bit of the stars and the and and such from just driving home. So I'm, I'm going to miss that. <laughs> you got to so you got to just find the bright ones, you know, like you're never going to lose sight of Jupiter. You're never going to lose sight of Saturn. You'll probably always be able to see Arcturus and Vega and, you know, Venus when the time is right. So just watch out for those guys. Yeah, actually, come to think of it, the 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 most significant magical thing I ever did was say a prayer to Inanna while Venus was on the horizon while driving to work, and so I was and I was driving right towards where Venus was in the sky, and uh, I was saying a prayer to her and and also reciting as much of a hymn that I could remember um, while looking directly at Venus and that was like one of the most emotional things and led to some of the most significant changes that my life has ever seen. Mm -hmm. So I definitely think there's something to it. Yeah, for sure. Well, this is good. You know, our, our lesson is, um, uh, experiment and look up. Yeah, right. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, is there anything you want to plug before we, uh, close out here? Sure. Um, you know, I've got my podcast, Arnamancy, which is also a blog, uh, and I'm Arnamancy on Twitter and Instagram and and Faceballs, and uh, in <laughs> in um, oh September 13th I'm having a live podcast recording in Portland, Oregon. That's awesome. I'm really excited about it, and I think it's going to be super fun. And you can get details via my social media stuff. So yeah, that's kind of it. But this has been a lot of fun. All right. Yeah, thank you for ha coming on. Thanks for having me on. I hope that we do this again sometime on one of our podcasts. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Butterflies and Incantations. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast and follow me on social media. This is Vanessa reminding you that magic is everywhere. You only have to